You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day, all people and planet can thrive together. Looney is a 25-plus year serial entrepreneur, founder and co-founder of seven companies. Uh, Latest startups include Fledge, which is a network of conscious company accelerators helping entrepreneurs turn their visions into reality. Also, founder of Africa Eats, which focuses on food and ag in Africa, along with InvestorFlow.org, which is an online service connecting impact investors. Finally, um, Looney is also an author of the Next Step series of books and podcasts, which guides entrepreneurs from ideas to startups. Welcome, Looney. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, that yeah. makes me feel like I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> there you go. And I mean, where, where are you today? I am sitting at Waterfront Park on Bainbridge Island, uh, enjoying the sunshine. Nice. Well, I mean, that sounds stressful for sure. Um, I, I'm, I actually have the chance to see Looney, and it's a very sort of picturesque background. Um, well, thanks for joining us today. And uh, Looney, part of my uh, desire to converse and hear your story was, I'm always impressed by how many things you have going on. And um, I sort of like to touch on a lot of them I actually don't even understand. I'll actually be upfront. What I'm just impressed by is the sheer amount of activity. And so let's just start off with that. Right now, we're in a sort of this, you know, great meditative pause. And, you know, I mean, to some extent, I mean, there's been a lot of sort of liminal space for us to reconsider, to reimagine. Uh, to be in dread, to be hopeful, to be joy. And so we have a lot of mixed emotions. How, how has sort of that activity meter played out for you over the last six months? Uh, well, I usually work from home. Uh, well, let's step back. So I always say my day job is running Fledge. It's a business accelerator. It started here in Seattle. And, and so once a year, I'm extremely busy for two months every day working with a bunch of entrepreneurs. Uh, and then in between that, I'm often flying around the world helping someone else do the same thing. Uh, and so I'm used to moving around the planet a lot. But I'm also, in between all those moments, used to working at home. So I've been working at home since uh, November last year. And to me, it's a little bit antsy. I'm just ready to go be somewhere else for a few, at least a few weeks uh, to go do the sure, same, sure. same work, but somewhere else. Uh, you know, and the weather, the weather changing is nice, but uh, it's not quite the same. Uh, but in terms of like my everyday work, no, I'm just as busy as I was. I'm still talking to people around the world. It's now moved to Zoom instead of Skype. Um, but it, it's, you know, my life hasn't gotten any quieter. Uh, Your life hasn't gotten any quieter. And, and whenever I, it gets quieter, I add new things. That, that's how I keep so busy. Gotcha. And I mean... Is there something that makes you nervous about um, sort of quiet and idleness? Uh, I'm just not good with quiet. I mean, what in particular sort of, sort of you're not good with quiet? I'm not good with the quiet moment. <laughs> I don't have any hobbies. I'm trying to, I'm working on some hobbies, but I've never really had any hobbies. 
I enjoy my work. They said, they told us as kids, right? Find something you love to do and go do it. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, I, I love startups. I love helping entrepreneurs. And so that's what I've been doing. And when one, you know, one business card, one hat, one t-shirt, whatever you want to call it, when that gets quiet, pick up another one and work on, work on the same work in a different hat. Uh, and onward and onward. That's why the intro and the bio sounds like I'm doing all these things. And yeah, I am, but they're all related to the same end goal. Sure, they're all sure. related to getting impact companies, you know, the funding they need and the help they need. And so, I mean, how do you know, I mean, how do you know a good idea when you see it after, uh, you know, vetting and being a part of uh, ideas? Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, to I mean, you know, to to you know, to a um, I mean, how do you sort of like feel into? I mean, beyond the business plan, beyond the pitch, like I mean, what kind of intuition is involved in actually saying, you know, this is worth doing? I don't like, I don't like the word intuition. Um, I I'd like the word experience better than intuition. Uh, so okay. given fair, fair enough, it's it's twenty. You said twenty five plus in the bio. I started as an entrepreneur in ninety two. So that's a lot of years. I have seen a lot of companies. I've always been interested in startups. When I was you know, just running my one startup, I was still reading about all the other startups. I've been following the space of startups for almost 30 years. Uh, and so I've seen patterns. I've seen what works, what doesn't work. And so given a plan, given a one-line one pitch or one-page plan, I have a pretty good set of experiences to tell me what's likely to go wrong with that company. What are they missing? What, what, are, they, what are they not thinking of that's gonna cause trouble? And so when it comes around to picking the, so that helps filter out the ones that are likely to fail. Uh, and I'd say I and others in the, in the space are getting better and better at picking out the ones that are gonna fail, but nobody's good at picking out the ones that are gonna succeed. That's a different, that's a different can of worms. Um, but what helps us uh, find those, find enough of them that do uh, is a few things. One is, uh, you know, personally, it's bucking the trend out there. Uh, the trend, I live in, Bainbridge is near Seattle. Um, the trend in Seattle would be, you know, invest in tech companies. We're the home of Microsoft, Amazon, you know, Zillow, lots of, lots and lots of tech money here. Uh, but, you know, I don't do that. I'm, I'm investing in the impact space. Uh, the tech investors really are only interested in the new shiny object. Uh, there are a lot of followers that will want to invest in the Uber of whatever, even though Uber fails. Um, but, uh, but they won't invest in things that have been proven to work before. Uh, a lot of the work I do in Fledge and Africa Eats, I find companies and really what they need to grow is a truck. Like the technology they need to grow is a truck or a refrigerator or an electric generator. It's like something that was invented in the 19, 1900s, sorry, 1800s, 19th century. Um, I like those. I love it when someone brings me a business plan that's been proven in the US and Europe you know, 100 years ago and just hasn't been done in their home country yet. That, that to me is exciting. Now we can just go and we don't have to invent anything. Uh, but that's rare. Most investors don't want to touch that because it doesn't have any innovation attached to it. Uh, and at the same time, I am uh, totally jazzed whenever I find a new business model. So I find someone, someone applies to Fledge, almost all my deal flows through Fledge. 
Uh, we get hundreds, of, you know, thousands and thousands of applications over time, but hundreds at any one time. And someone puts in a business plan, you know, someone, someone submitted a plan, and for example, it would be for chickens. I've seen 100 plans for chickens, but someone once uh, back in 2018 uh, put in a business plan for crowdfunding chickens. Okay, I know what crowdfunding is and I know what chickens is, but I've never seen crowdfunding chickens. Uh huh. So that to me is interesting. How do we do that? Uh, one of our latest in our current cohort is AgroSupply. They do layaway for seeds for farmers, which oh, just yeah. sounds simple, right? We had Sears Roebuck invented layaway in, in 18 something something, right? Mid 1800s. I think they invented it. I don't know. Somebody invented it you know, before my grandparents were born. Uh, it's been used for hundred and something years in this country, but it's never, to my knowledge, been used for seeds for farmers in Africa. And it's working. And I, you know, dig into their plan and their numbers look amazing. Uh, and their customers pay them ahead of time. So we don't have any credit here. We're paid before we deliver them the product. Like you can't beat that. Mm. And so that excited me and, and we dug in and we wound up investing. In um, so it's kind of a you know, barbell kind of thing. I like uh, old ideas and then I like you know, mishmashes and mashups of, of uh, in innovations that make new, new ways to gather capital from, uh, or new, new ways to bring in revenues from customers that, that, that are proving to work. And then, I mean, how do you determine whether um, it would be conceived of as an impact um, investment? Um, you know, I mean, that's sort of that nuanced gray sort of area. Like, I mean, how do you feel into that? Yeah, it's not terribly gray. So, you know, we break out the SDGs. You know, which SDGs is this company uh, dealing with? Great right? agro supply. You know, poverty and hunger. Numbers one and number two. We, I believe the UN thought those were important enough to make number one and number two. Um, the only gray area we get is when we see a company in an emerging market and you know they're doing DoorDash, right? They're doing the the we'll bring you stuff on a motorcycle. You know, is that impactful? Yeah, um, yes, but not not anywhere near any company that's helping uh, the bottom of the pyramid. So we tend to we, we tend to just avoid the gray area because there's so many opportunities to invest in companies that help alleviate poverty or clean the environment, you know, mitigate climate change. Um, or bigger issues. So we just stick with the bigger issues. And then the, there's no gray area. I mean, is, was, was there something in your background that uh, created that affinity for the bottom of the pyramid in terms of like you growing up? Or I mean, where's sort of the attraction <laughs> and the resonance there for the bottom that of the pyramid? I know pyramid? of. Uh, I'm a, I grew up in suburban America, in, in New Jersey and LA, in the suburbs, in the valley in LA. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, no. Um, I didn't even set out to do an accelerator in that space. I set out to do an accelerator for social entrepreneurs where I thought those were the, um, the, kind of, the kind of people who went to Bainbridge Graduate Institute, which is where I discovered how to do good and do business, right? The SVN members. Um, and then what happened was cohort one, our very first cohort, we had two out of seven companies doing business in Africa. We thought, okay, that's nice. You're American. We'll help you do this business in Africa. And we learned a little bit about Africa. Uh, and then a year and a half, cohort four was half the companies were doing business in Africa, and one of them was African. And that was the last time we ever had 
a majority or even, even half the companies be American. Um, ever since then, it's been majority emerging market. It's just like, we have to, it's needed. No, nobody else is doing it. Like there's a, you know, we still do American companies, but the opportunities are so humongous outside the US, in Africa, in, in South Asia, Southeast Asia, Latin America, that we, we're just you know, drawn there. And I mean, what is it in particular, like, I mean, where's the vacuum? I mean, what, where, like, what is it that you or the United States and or the, you know, the, you know, the ideology here, uh, like what, like what vacuum are you and sort of this ideology of startup and the whole scene here actually filling? Uh, we're filling the lack of capital. First and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, second is just the knowledge of how to, how to start a company and grow it. Uh, so we have, yeah, I, 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 you know, I mentioned, hey, uh, layaway was invented in the U.S. in the 1850s. Well, there really wasn't business going on in Africa in the 1850s. They don't have 150 years of history of business. They don't have, you know, five, six generations of entrepreneurs who built, you know, they didn't join the Industrial Revolution back then. Uh, and therefore, from that, the knowledge just isn't sitting over there in enough, in enough heads at the moment. So what's useful is we pick them up and we drop them off here in Seattle or one of our cities in Europe or Peru um, where they can gather that knowledge. And second, we give them money to go do that and then connect them to more investors after that. Um, so we're giving them the, the pieces that are missing. Uh, and then just in terms of, you know, look at, uh, you said you don't want analytics, but you look at global inequality. Uh, and uh, yeah, the U.S. is 4% of the population. We're about 20% of all manufacturing in the world. And I don't have the exact stat, but I wouldn't be surprised if we were 25% of all the wealth. We might be 30% of all the wealth in the world with 4% yeah. of the people. And again, most of my work's in Africa. It's a billion people. So it's a seventh of the world, you know, I call it an eighth of the world. And they have 1% of the capital in the world, like if that. Um, so they don't have the, even if they wanted to follow in our footsteps, they don't have the capital to do it. Yeah. I mean, what have you learned before you started, uh, you know, these cohort groups and started Fledge and helping you know, or, and helping the entrepreneurs there? Oh, can you say that again? I got, I got blurry. Well, I mean, what, what in particular has emerged for you in terms of understanding and knowledge about Africa that you that you previously didn't have as a result of not being able to go there and being in. Like we only had a half an hour. Like I've been, <laughs> I've been doing this for eight years. Uh, I'll tell you the, the uh, almost everything I've done has been a surprise. I, I didn't understand. I, I hadn't been there. I hadn't been there until 2016. Like I started investing over there without ever having stepped foot on the, on the continent. Um, uh, same thing. I invested in India without ever stepping foot in India until two years ago. Um, Right, that, that doesn't stop me. Um, I'd say the, the biggest learning is uh, when we say the, world, the word developing market or developing country, which is you know, incorrect because it's a spectrum and all that. Um, uh, but I don't think 99% of people know what that means. Um, so for example, uh, last year we invested in a company in Western Kenya that processes chicken. And so, sorry if you're vegan out there, but uh, we need to feed, you know, uh, the people of Western Kenya need protein and the cheapest form of protein is chicken. 
right, in Western Kenya. Um, and it turns out, so this is again, what we learned just from applications. Um, the company said on paper that uh, there are about 300,000 chickens per day eaten in Western Kenya. It's like 20 million people. It, it, you know, 100 million people live around Lake Victoria. Not a small, it's not a small population in the world. Um, the city there is a million to a million three. Um, in the city alone, they eat 30,000 chickens a day. Almost all those chickens are imported from the middle of Kenya. Hmm. The money and the resources of Kenya are centered around Nairobi, that's in the middle of Kenya. This is Western Kenya, this is the rural part, it's farmland, but it's poor. Uh, and so here we have a company, they were earning, I don't know, around, let's call it a quarter million dollars last year. Um, they were the largest processor in Western Kenya of chickens at a quarter million dollars a year at 300 chickens a day. That made them the biggest. Uh, and then um, the entrepreneur wanted to try and see if he could sell chickens in a cooked form instead of in a frozen form. Mm -hmm. So he opened a restaurant inside his facility. It's a lovely place I got to go visit last year. Um, and it, it works and he earns more money per chicken selling as a restaurant. And you would think like with your American brain, you go, well, a KFC, how is he gonna compete against KFC? And there is in fact a KFC in his city. One, the only one in Western Kenya. Um, but KFC, dinner at KFC is like 10 bucks in Western Kenya. Dinner at Chicken Basket, the name of the company, it was uh, 350 shillings, 300 or 350 shillings for a plate. So like $3, 350 for the same, same amount of food, much better cooked, much, much better quality. I ate there, it was awesome. Uh, I actually went back. I, I went out of my way to eat there again on my way out of Kenya. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it was really good. Um, and so he has an opportunity to replicate the restaurant business, not just in that city, uh, but on this trip I took, uh, I got picked up in his home city. It's Kisumu, Kenya. And I got driven to, to uh, eastern Uganda. It was about five hours of driving. And every five minutes was a village or town. Every five minutes for five hours was a village or town. Then we did a circle route. Uh, so we passed a thousand towns. There could be a chicken restaurant in every single one of those thousand villages and towns at the scale, right? Or, you know, one, two workers and some local grown chickens. Uh, just from this one little company, this could be a, you know, multi, you know, could be a really big company without ever leaving his region, without KFC having a chance. Um, or the other, the other, uh, the other brands of, of Africa that, that do chicken. Um, and, uh, you know, and I didn't know that. I didn't understand, before mm. the trip, I didn't understand the scale of his opportunity. I thought he's in a million person city, we could get from 300 chickens to, you know, 10% of the market, we could do 3,000 chickens a day. Maybe we could get 25% of the market, and do, you know, three, 4,000 chickens a day. Um, your five, 6,000 chickens, whatever. Um, but no, the opportunity is actually, you know, 100,000 chickens a day at restaurants and frozen and live. And are you involved um, beyond startup? Like, are you involved in sort of the later stage uh, funding rounds as well in terms of helping him with like growth capital? Or I mean, how sort of that ecosystem play out for these companies that you're helping out? Yeah, so here we are we're about eight years after the first cohort finished. We're starting to not talk to those companies. Like this year, we're starting, they're, they're starting not to ask us for advice. Um, so historically, it seems like we're with them for the next seven years or so. Um, 
And if they want us longer than that, that's fine. We'll, we'll be with them forever. Uh, what we did, the, you said Africa Eats in the bio. Uh, we specifically have taken 27 of our graduates and taken them out of our fledge portfolio and wrapped them in a new holding company. We call that Africa Eats. Those, in, those companies we intend to be with forever. I expect my grandkids will own those companies. Um, we're looking at the Berkshire Hathaway model of buy companies you love, minority stake to start with, we'll buy them out when the founders are ready to leave. Uh, we'll own them forever. Um, so those we expect to have forever. There's, uh, those are all African, they're all in food. Uh, there's 27 of them. Uh, the other ones that just come through Fledge, we'll support them for as long as they need support for. And yeah, we review term sheets. We negotiate on their behalf with investors. We, we translate investor for them. We introduce mm -hmm. them to investors. Um, we we promote them. We have you know if they have a grant proposal, we'll help write that and and uh, and references and whatnot and anything to help them grow. Yeah. So um, let's talk about that Africa Eats uh, model. Um, I mean that's a pretty interesting um, sort of segue. I mean, what has sort of inspired sort of the longer term commitment from you and I see I see I'm guessing um you know I see, I see I'm a group of other investors as well, right? Yeah, so uh, ultimately it comes back to your question about learning. Uh, there, is, there are 50 something countries in Africa, depending on where you draw the line of, of North versus Sub-Saharan. Um, uh, that creates friction just in itself, let alone everything else, in terms of finding funders for, for startups, right? Uh, usually funds will only invest in a subset of those countries. Um, and usually they'll only invest in a, in a subset of all the SDGs and the subset of sectors and stages and everything else. And so for any given company, there may not be a funder. It may, it may be that we have to help them grow to get to the, some size where they're fundable. And in some cases, they're just in a country that just doesn't have funders, period, full stop. And so we just mm -hmm. have to wait until there are funders for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we started Africa Eats with the idea, we wrote the plan with the idea that we would fix this and, and get rid of the friction by raising money as a holding company. Uh, and then we'll distribute the capital efficiently across these subsidiaries. And we know them because they've all been through an accelerator. So we're not sitting there doing due diligence. We're literally sitting there having debates about not having enough money and who should get it. Um, gotcha. And so by the time Africa Eats gets involved, I mean, these companies are cash flow positive and already uh, growing, um, or are these still sort of early stage companies in, in Africa Eats? Early stage is a weird term these days. Uh, investors tend to not invest in ideas anymore. That kind of disappeared five, six years ago. So we rarely ever invest in a company that's still uh, pre-revenues. So almost everybody's in fledge is post-revenues. Uh, for Africa Eats, uh, 24 out of 27 are running profitable at the moment. So we like profitable companies. There's, there's a lot less risk investing in profitable companies. Um, so yeah, they're profitable. They, they, um, in 2019, an aggregate earned $7 million. So no one company was even half of that. The biggest was a million and a half. Uh, they're telling us there'll be nine or 10 million in revenues this year in the pandemic despite some setbacks, we'll, yeah, we'll be happy with eight. We'll be happy with seven. We can just <laughs> hold, hold flat for the year. That would be great. But they're saying we're going to grow this year. Uh, historically, they've been growing at like 50% year over year as an aggregate. There's some faster, some slower. We expect that to keep up. Um, 
And then the other reason we started this in the middle of a pandemic, like why on earth, why don't you just postpone it, which would be the logical thing to do, uh, is because the pandemic is causing hunger issues over there. There's literally, you know, if you go to your supermarket and I go to my supermarket, there's some empty shelves. I can't get couscous in a box at the moment. Oh, well, I can live without couscous in a box. Uh, but if I'm in um, Botswana right now with all the borders closed, they're rationing gasoline. They may not have food. Mm -hmm. I may not be able to get food. I might have to grow, you know, I'm growing my own food, but I not, might not be able to get seeds to grab my own food. That's, that's the, one of the worst places we've seen. Uh, if you're in uh, Uganda, every once in a while, the government just says uh, nobody can go anywhere. Nobody can go anywhere. The markets are all closed. You can't have any income. If you didn't grow the food yourself, you're, you're just going to go hungry today. Too bad. We want to knock down the, the infection rate. Um, and you know, other issues beyond that. Uh, and so we started Africa Eats right now. We went to our, our fledge investors and raised $600,000 in the past few months because we need to do this right now. We have uh, holes to fill in the market to keep people fed. And so uh, um, help me connect this, this invest, uh, investor flow in terms of part of this ecosystem. Where like, did this idea and this originate from? I mean, like what vacuum did, see, did you see as part of your work to put this together? Yeah, so that's a great example where it looks like it's completely disconnected from everything else I do when it's exactly the same thing. Um, and so I was sitting at SOCAP in 2016 and a partner and I were thinking about uh, spinning up just a typical uh, impact investing fund, just your, your typical two and 20 venture fund. Um, and what we found from talking to institutions and, and big families and other people raising funds is that impact investors are picky. Again, I kind of hinted on this before. If we put 10 impact investors in a room, and I don't care if they're individuals or families or foundations or, or funds, uh, and we said, uh, where in the world do you invest? Which SDGs do you like? Um, you know, what size company minimum would you invest in? Uh, and what sizes are your checks? Uh, we'll have no matches. We'll have, we'll have zero matches out of randomly picked 10, <laughs> 10 investors. And I've seen this. I'm a member of an investing group Maybe 15, 20 of us will be in a room. Maybe two people will like a deal. And it doesn't matter what the deal is. You know, the, but one, one time, we, uh, most of us agreed on one thing. It was, it was, it was one of those too good to be true things. Um, uh, but in terms of like impact, we actually did this. We went out in a room and said, what are your three favorite SDGs? 15 people in a room, not a single match across 15 people. Uh, and so, from those conversations at SOCAP, I said, okay, we need to fix this. Um, and since, since the people aren't investing in their backyard, we need to do this online because you can't get the people together more than you know, once a year or so. Uh, so it has to be an online uh, service. Since we want to do this for everybody, we just have to make it free. So it's a free service. Uh, we've stuck it in a nonprofit we had. Um, we thought we'd get somebody to fund it, but that turned out to be false. So we've just been doing it with volunteers. Uh, and it's a free service where any investor can show up and join in. And joining in means that they fill out a profile. You tell us, what are your favorite SDGs? Where in the world do you invest? It's got the same questions I just asked. Uh, and then any investor can post a deal. So you can't, entrepreneurs aren't invited in the network. There's no cold deals. Uh, an investor has to like the deal enough to share it with, with the network. 
and then we'll filter based on those criteria so that the people in the network are not getting inundated with the deals they don't like. It should be more or less what they're looking for because it's the right geography and the right sectors and so forth. Um, and, uh, and we pushed really hard on this for, in 2017 and we grew at about one investor per day every day. Oh, nice. Um, uh, low hanging fruit and all that. So we had about yeah. 300, right? Every weekday, about 300 and 330 by the end of the year. And then we pushed a little less in 2018. We got up to about 400, mm -hmm. um, four something. Uh, and then we were in negotiations to hand it to somebody else and that, and that fell through. And then the same thing again, that fell through. And so here the pandemic hit, we have a little more time on our hands. We're, we're back to growing it. Um, we're trying to figure out how big do you need to be? The, dr the dream of investor flow is you find a deal, right? You're an impact investor. You, you come across someone somewhere in the world, you find the deal and you're excited about it and you post it. And that posting goes out to the network and from that it's funded, period, full stop. Like mm -hmm. all the funding it's looking for is done. Not in one day or one week, it might take a month or two until everybody get, gets through their due diligence. But we have enough impact investors in the network that any good deal that comes through is funded. So how many impact investors do you think it takes to do that? I don't know, that's a good question. I mean, obviously you're at 400 and I mean, you still don't. Yeah, we're, we're shocked to strive 500 at the moment. That and that's I'm guessing. Yeah. No, no. yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Nobody knows, right? The GIN, the, the Global Impact Investing Network is 250 members. That's not big enough. Yeah. Um, Tonic uh, and uh, SBC are, you know, two, three, 400 members. That's not big enough. We're bigger than those. We have a lot of their members in there. It's 500 isn't big enough. Hopefully it's a thousand. It might be two. Um, we don't know. We're hoping to get big enough to find out. So how, I mean, just, I mean, do you see any limitations on, I mean, you've mentioned SDGs and you mentioned these categories and these outcomes, these impact outcomes. I mean, do you see any limitations on framing the impact space in that way alone or as that is the dominant sort of um, way of allocating money? Uh, we didn't have the SDGs when I started here and we had a hell of trying to describe what we cared about. Then the SDGs came along and now it, 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 there, I had a phrase that someday in a meeting somewhere I said, um, uh, they are useless for everyone, but useful for everyone. No, sorry, that's not quite right, but it, it was a good aphorism <laughs> in there. Um, for any one person, they're pretty much useless. Like my, you know, when I'm saying that I like numbers one and number two, there's a lot of nuance in there. Yeah. Like you work in housing, there's a lot of nuance in affordable housing. Just in the term affordable housing, there's a lot of nuance. Yeah. And the SDGs don't really capture that. But again, when we sit in a room or we build out investor flow, great. Here's an ontology that everybody can agree exists and is colorful and is useful enough and not perfect, but it's good enough and we're, we're running with it. Um, and it's good enough for impact reports to say, you know, oh, look, we had seven companies that are working on SDG number 13. And, and whoever cares about 13 gets excited for that. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, part of the reason why I asked that question is, is because when I look at my own investments um, outside of what I do with Open Path, I um, really find myself 
going where my relationships are. And so I'm really not, and obviously, and so it's not sort of this dynamic of a matrix that I'm following. It's like, I'm really going where my relationships are because those relationships are probably with people that are creating the kind of world that I want to live in. And I find myself not really overly involved with the categories, but I really find myself involved in is like diving in with the relationships of like what you said, people have a deal that they like, and that's usually what happens. You know, friends share deals with friends. And I go, I go with them. I go because of them. uh, And a lot of times because I like them, I trust them. And I have a little follow up on top of that, obviously, but it's not because I'm going, I didn't, I didn't intend to go into, you know, X area for X particular outcome. What I find is like, no, these are like just equitable people. They're living in a world that they want to change uh, for the better. And I mean, each, each one of us probably has a difference in detail about what better is, but we have a probably similar in principle about what better looks like. And so I'm just inviting this concept because I know one of the things again that didn't get me into impact investing was the categories and the and uh, you know the 18 or 20 and then probably two or three years from now there'll be 35 categories because somebody says well there's some nuance here and of course you'll make more right. categories for the nuance and it's really got me thinking it's like this is like ridiculously personal for me in terms of how I invest almost it doesn't and I don't care where it is in the food chain at and yes, I do, and I don't. I like essential businesses. Like you won't see me investing in TikTok, but you know, I'll invest in housing and energy um, and stuff like that. But I didn't set out energy. It just like sort of came to me, and I just asked myself when these things come to me, is this an offering that I should be involved in? So. Now that's yeah. probably not a scalable model. Like, you know, I mean, so, so, I mean, some people are obsessed with and consume the scalable, which I understand, but a lot of people that are listening to this are personal people that are trying to allocate their portfolio that I think migrate between what you're saying and what I'm saying, because that's what the feedback I'm getting is, is like, ah, well, I'm only going to be able to spend so much time in those categories. Really what I also want to do is participate in this whole other realm of invisible life that I've also learned to trust. Yeah. So, so I'll say from my experience, I've talked to, I've literally talked to thousands of of impact investors. Um, I keep a list of everybody I talk to. It's 18,000 people long. Not all of them are investors, but I've literally talked to thousands of investors. Uh, What you're saying is true of most individuals and family offices where the patriarch matriarch still running the show. But there's a, there comes a moment in, um, in capitalism, we'll say, where there's a bigger pool of capital. And that's either a foundation uh, where the patriarch matriarch is not running it or a, or a family office where they've hired a staff or certainly with a fund, a real fund with other people's money, uh, where there's a mandate. There is a, um, they've set up ahead of time, here's what this pool of capital exists to do. And then when you bring them something that's outside that mandate, and you can use the SDGs again are, are common, but not always. When you bring them something outside the mandate, they just give you a quick, no, nope, <laughs> doesn't work for us. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we only invest in Zimbabwe and, and um, Burundi. 
Like I've come across funds that only invest in Burundi, worst country on the planet. Great, <laughs> great mission. Can't help you. I don't have any companies in Burundi. Um, uh, and, I, and you can't help me because I don't have any companies in Burundi. Um, uh, and, um, and what's, what's yeah. interesting in the macro space is that the more money, more investable money, uh, at least more, more, more money that's being invested in impact is in the latter group. It's in the institutionalized uh, group, which means those decisions were already made. And in the cases of foundations, the patriarch matriarch is dead or gone out of the org. And they're not going to change their mission until some big uh, reorg happens, if ever. Uh, and so it's kind of set in stone. And if it's a fund, it's set in stone for 10 years. And so when the new thing comes along, that's better. Oh, well, they're not going to jump on that. You got to wait 10 years for fun, too. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so you know, it comes back down to we need more money jumping in when we need more of us individuals to go and run funds with new ideas to fill in gaps as new, new ideas pop up. I hear you. I'm here with Thank you, Lenny. Um, I just want to sort of sum up what I really hear you talking about is, is that you've really allowed uh, life to emerge for you. I mean, you didn't even intend to do a lot of, uh, you know, work in Africa until you talked about these cohort groups started coming to you as part of these um, educational platforms to teaching entrepreneurship. All of a sudden, you're really good at noticing what needs are and matching them up with offerings and how you've sort of created this whole ecosystem of really. And the other thing is I rarely talk to anybody who's actually doing <laughs> what you talked about, what would be considered like an 1800 business plan in the States is completely relevant and impactful in other parts of the globe. And so I just love this idea that you're taking pre-existing technology and innovation and doing the matchup and you're like looking into these uh, people's lives and just authentically helping them with the scenario that they wouldn't be able to help themselves out without a little the wheels there, the initiative is there both on both sides. So thank you so much for uh, sharing your stories. The very funny story about the, you know, I mean about the chicken uh, for sure. I would have never guessed that myself. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Good deal. Uh, I hope everybody learned something today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you want to help any of my entrepreneurs, I'm, uh, I'm at looney at pledge.co or looney at africaeats.com or uh, looney at investorflow.org or looneyrealizeimpact.org. Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.